Dispatch to all units, 10-3, Clear the air for all traffic and stand by for emergency traffic from your chaplain. Welcome to Chaplain's 1033 Podcast, a podcast to look at the good and the bad of public safety. Join Chaplain Dale Simmons as he talks to police officers, firefighters, EMS personnel, and deputies who struggle every day with life situations. Here is your host, Chaplain Dale Simmons. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 5 of Chaplain's 1033 Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Simmons, Public Safety Chaplain. Thank you for those who've subscribed and those listening each episode. I want each episode to be something that piques your interest and something that will make you a better public safety professional. I am excited about today's podcast. You will hear about the subject we don't want to talk about, stress how it affects us, our families, our work environment, and our professions. My guest today is Captain Scott Dakin from Barrow County Emergency Services and Teresa Brown, a licensed counselor. Scott is trained in critical incident stress management as an instructor, and he's not just an instructor, but Scott, as you'll hear in the podcast, has experienced struggles in his own career. Teresa is a licensed counselor and her husband is one of the chaplains with Barrow County, and she has been trained in trauma counseling. Share with those you know who need to hear this. We say in the podcast that if we don't help each other, no one else will. Here's my conversation with Scott and Teresa. Okay, everybody, welcome to Chaplain's 1033 podcast, and uh, I am very, very honored to have with us today um, Scott Dakin. Uh, Captain with Barrow County EMS uh, Emergency Services, excuse me, and Teresa Brown, who is a licensed professional counselor um, with the Healthy Home. And we're going to be talking about um, critical incident stress management today, something that we don't like to talk about a lot because we don't have any problems in public safety. <laughs> so, um, Scott, since you and I kind of got this started and, and uh, I approached you first, um, tell me a little bit about you and how you got into all this? Well, I've been doing, uh, I've been firefighting for 27, 28 years now. Uh, got into critical incident stress management by order of a chief about 15 years ago. But to be honest with you, once I took the class and realized what it was, because I went in thinking it was counseling and nobody likes counseling, um, I realized what it was and I realized the true value of it. It, it put a passion in my heart and have been building things up ever since then. It it is definitely something, uh, I always equate it, and and I think I say this just about every class I take, um, we have a a national problem in public safety. We have, it it is a nationwide issue, but the solution has to be local. It's no different than a STEMI. We have national standards on, on STEMI treatment but if the local ambulance don't show up, that national standard does nothing. And the same as this. If we don't show up for each other, who is going to? I say that all the mm-hmm. time. If we don't take care of us, nobody else will. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Um, Teresa, a little bit about your background and what you're doing. Yeah, so I've, I have been a counselor for um, some time now. And um, starting out, I worked at a nonprofit locally that partnered with um, Scott and our critical incident stress management team. And so um, just working there and seeing him teach the classes, I became very intrigued and so um, decided to partner with him and um, help out however I could. And you have a, you have a, you have your own businesses and that's probably, I, I don't even like that word when talking about yes. counseling, but in that, your name of your business is? Yeah, it's the Healthy Home. It's a, uh, my own private practice here in Winder. Okay. Um, I gave you some questions to kind of think about. Scott, what is all this SISM stuff we talk about? I mean, is well, how did it get started? How old is it? Can you can so, you give us a little bit of that? So, in all actuality, what we do for critical incident stress management has been around for decades. Uh, it, of course, started in the World Wars um, with military, and they, you know, it has definitely improved. But so with critical incident stress management, a couple of things that are very important is number one, it is peer driven. It is firefighter talking to firefighter. It is paramedic talking to paramedic or in cases like mine where we're both. 
it's law enforcement talking to law enforcement, dispatcher to dispatcher, because we all know the job. We know what we see and do. And so over the years, it has improved. And I like to think that Barrow County is setting the bar pretty high on some of the other stuff, too, because we realize that, number one, um, critical incidents happen all the time to us. The normal human being sees maybe two in their life. We see that in a week. Um, and what we have now what we call it's it's cumulative and it just means we we tend to run from one bad call to another bad call I think uh, you know the, the industry we know it's, it comes in threes and if you run a bad one you know you got two more coming <clears throat> but what all that builds up all that builds up and it's trying to deal with it instead of letting it build up and talking to each other and letting each other know that it's okay but we, we got into this business knowing all about this, man. I mean, we knew we were going to see junk. In, I mean, you know, people walk up to you and say, what's the worst call you've ever ran? Yeah. And um, so what makes us, I mean, what makes us different from the truck driver on the street out there that's dealing with traffic in Atlanta for two or three hours in, in road rage? What's the difference between what we do and in, in, in other people? I mean, is there a difference? Well, I always tell people that one of the things that we do is we always get to have the, here, hold my beer. We, we come in at the end of that. Right. Um, so, yeah, there is a difference. There is a difference in what we see and do. Uh, you know, we are dealing with the absolute worst of times for people. When we show up, it's not because they're having a great time and they want to celebrate with us. It's because the worst of their lives. And we go into that continuously. And, you know, we, we sometimes sit and think that it's, oh, it's that child laying on the road. That's what's going to affect us. And that does, don't get me wrong. We we ought, we do CISM for that too. But it's so much more. It's running that you know, I think every I think everybody in EMS if they were to be honest that have been in this for 15 20 years have had stretches where they're really tired of death. It's nothing one bad call. I'm just tired of constantly running dead people. It's stuff like that. Uh, you know what <laughs> I got caught in a news interview saying it, and, and it really stuck it true. It's, you know, we're the heroes we don't need saving, but, but we do. We do need saving. Um, I, 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 I want to I wanna be there. I want, I want these guys that are starting in this career to have a whole lot better career than I do. I don't want them to be that lieutenant that comes up to me and says, you know, I, I don't believe in what you're doing. I ran this call 20 years ago, lay it all out for me but it never affected me. Well, yeah, it did, if you remember it 20 years later. It affected you. And it's just, we, we are different because the challenge is we, we run those calls. That's what we signed up for, and we signed up to help everybody. And helpers don't need help, but we do need help. So, Teresa, what do we look like? I mean... What, he doesn't mean my good looks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what is, it, what is a... What is a person who needs counseling, stress, what, I mean, is it, is it the guy that comes in with bags under their eyes and was drunk the night before? Is that a typical person? That you know, I think society believes that, that you can see it all over their face, but every person you lay eyes on could benefit from counseling, whether they are, you know, struggling from the night before, from 20 years previous of something that's happened. Um, one of the things I like to, to, just based off of what Scott was saying, is, you know, the helpers don't need help. In, in my experience working with public safety, um, you know, you've heard our fight or flight system. That's a pretty common term. Um, our bodies were not created to function off of that 24-7. And generally in public safety, it seems that that might be the case. And so what happens is our body is in a constant, our nervous system is a constant fight or flight. We weren't created for that. And so then it begins to shut down. Because you run call after call after call of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, and then your body can't understand how to process correctly because it's in fight or flight constantly. Um, and so I think we have to get rid of that stigma that, you know, the people who show it that they need it are the only ones that need it. Um, I think every, everybody needs it. Well, physically, um, what, and if you can't answer this question, that's okay. What happens to, uh, because when we talk about fight or flight from a, paramedic standpoint we're talking about adrenaline dumps mm -hmm. okay and I can remember when when I was in the early when the pager would go off when I'd come about four foot off the bed whereas when it goes off today 
it's no big deal. What happens to the body when the adrenaline stops pumping because we're so used to the environment? When does it does it affect the physical body? Sure, one hundred percent. I think we have noticed that desensitization happens. You know, at the beginning, like you were just saying, an alarm goes off and you immediately jump up and want to want to help. Now is typical. You're expecting it almost. Um, so that can delay response time, uh, which can be harmful long term. Um, it can desensitizing your body to a critical need is not helpful for anyone, especially in the public safety world, because as the general population, we're expecting them to get to us as quick as possible. And of course they want to, but our bodies may not be responding that way because we're desensitized to that. So when the adrenaline quits flowing, what does that do to the mental con? I mean, Listen, I'm expected to know all my advanced cardiac life protocol at 2 a.m. in the morning when I walk into the heart attack, mm -hmm. okay, or a cardiac arrest. What does that do to my mental acuity when the adrenaline starts to slow, it quits pumping, and all this information I'm supposed to remember to help you when you're in your time of need, what, what happens to that information? It goes away. <laughs> it starts to it starts so to decline. Yeah. yeah. Well, it starts to decline pretty rapidly. I think we see that often in in people who have been in an environment or a job like public safety for years on end would probably say they have times where they feel like they don't know what they're doing. They're just working off of habit. Is that what? And, and I don't necessarily want to chase this rabbit, but. Is that what's happening in our public safety, particularly in our police situation, where we're seeing more violence than we have, or at least it, I, I know the internet makes everything public, but the violence we've seen among police officers, it is, do you think that's partially because of where we are stress-wise? Great question. I think it could be a lot of things. Um, high stress and low adrenaline aren't a good match. Um, and so there's there's a lot of moving parts to that right there of what you're saying, but I definitely could see an increase so, in that. So I'll, I'll say this because I think everybody's that's been in this industry for any amount of time. How many I, I've I've uttered these words myself. I think I slept through that call because we're just on that autopilot. I'm not functioning. I'm just here, and I think that's an industry thing for sure. The call volumes are going up. The numbers in in the industry are going down. So let's start the process. Okay, so um, uh, somebody needs counseling, critical incident stress management. And I'm not even, we'll talk maybe in a little bit about what we need to look for in people. But let's suppose we have somebody who picks up the phone and says, I'm done. I'm getting in my car. I'm going to California. My family can fend for themselves. I'm going to go find me a job slinging hamburgers at McDonald's as far away from everybody that I know I can get. And so they've reached that point. Where do we, what happens from there? So the idea of, of critical incident stress management is to stop it from getting to that point. Um, you know, it, and, and I will honestly say I have dealt with guys that have walked off scenes ready to go home and just I'm done I'm not gonna I'm not going back and it's a it starts with a conversation with a trained professional and I stress the training um, because you can when somebody is in that position the wrong words can just totally destroy them um, so, give me uh, give me some ideas I mean what are some of the I'm going to say it this way. What are some of the stupid things we say so, in those situations? I always, in my class, I always use this as an example when I teach. Uh, many years ago, I ran a little eight-year-old girl that died. Uh, daddy was driving drunk, ejected her, did CPR on her, and it totaled me. And I had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life at the time as well. So I was just... I was in a bad spot, and the the department decided that we needed to do a counseling, a, a debriefing, and they brought in a person that was untrained, and him and the uh, top officer of the fire station decided they were going to run this debriefing, in which they told me, if you can't handle a child dying, you don't need to be a fireman. Twenty About 25 years later, that thought is still in the back of my head. If I can't handle a child... But I'm smart enough to know if a child dying doesn't bother you, maybe you shouldn't be a fireman. 
<laughs> it should have been the other way. That's the training we're talking about. This, the whole idea of suck it up buttercup never really worked, and it, and it's showing in our guys. You know, we talk about uh, we talked a little bit uh, at times about the suicide, and and it is on the rise. It's on the rise in the general public, and it's definitely a rise in the in public safety. And the highest number of suicides is the senior guys and the retired. It is running rampant in our retired guys because the suck it up buttercup never worked. We just pretended it did. So it's, it's stopping it before it all gets to this point. It's setting up, it's knowing what to look for, knowing how to deal things, knowing who to talk to. Um, you know, I, I, I've got guys in my department trained in this. They're the ones you talk to. Um, and just knowing how to, how to access that. And a lot of it has to come from the top down. It has to be pushed down and accepted from the top down. So I can, so once you, once we recognize that you got these guys that are trained, they come in, they talk to me, I go, yeah, you're right. Maybe I need to talk to somebody. So I can just call EAP, go to any counselor I want to talk to. You, I'm, in case you guys you're wondering, I'm throwing Scott softballs here, okay? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just any counselor is okay, yes? No. I'm, I'm going to let Teresa handle this because she feels the exact same way I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, we um, the counseling world, one of the things I want to reiterate, too, is um, – Critical incident stress management is not counseling. And so a lot of times when it's presented like that, it can be shunned. So when they do agree to come to counseling, what's really, really important is, you know, there's all types of counselors out there in the world. You, anybody knows that, but the training is critical here. Like Scott was saying, uh, a trauma-informed counselor is crucial. I think if they don't have any trauma training in their background or trauma work, um, I don't know that they can be helpful. I think they can hurt. Um, one of the things we say in our world is um, do no harm. We, out of our scope of practice, we're, we can't help people. And so just making sure that the counselor that you see refer to, um, I know in our situation, we have a list of people. We know their trainings. We know what type of um, background they practice in. And we understand that they will be able to work through a trauma treatment plan with someone versus a general basic one. Um, um, you, I used to say, you, you're not a real firefighter until you've lost somebody in a fire. You, you don't know what it really means to do that. Does, does a counselor have to have had trauma in their own personal background to be able to, I mean, you know, you know what I'm asking you? Sure. Yeah. Um, but does actually, help? actually I'm going to, I'm going to step in. I'll okay. tell you, I'll tell you what really helps ours is they are around firefighters. Some. Okay. They get to know that they, they get to know by sitting in classes. When we do a CISM class, we put mental health right alongside the fire law enforcement chaplains so that everybody knows. Um, and, and another way I'll explain this to you on the difference in counseling is if you are in an accident and your vehicle is rolled over and you're in bad shape, do you want a paramedic or a nurse showing up? I want a paramedic because the paramedic is taught, trained for that world. The nurse, when I get to the hospital, I want the nurse and not the paramedic because the nurse is trained for that world. And it's the same in counseling. They have to be trained for this in order to do it properly. Okay, and you, if, if I'm getting too personal, you tell me. No, that's me, okay. You've experienced it from the other side too, have you not, in your family? I've certainly had trauma in my family. And I, I think it's important also to plug in, um, I don't know that you will meet many people who haven't experienced trauma. Have I run a house fire? No. Have I run a, a really bad call with a child death or any death? Absolutely not. Will I ever? Probably not. Um, I think that could certainly be helpful in a counselor you know, public safety relationship. But like Scott was saying, you know, being around them, talking with them, doing life with them, checking in on them on a day to day without running a bad call, you know, building rapport with them is going to change the game, I think. Because yeah, we're terrible. We're we are terrible about black humor. Yes. I mean, it, I mean, we we will laugh at. Sure. <laughs> ang, you know, angulated <laughs> arms and missing limbs. And and I know that's one way we cope with some of the stuff mm -hmm. we see. But it's pretty difficult for somebody who doesn't understand that sure. concept mm -hmm. to be able to understand when I get upset because, as I said to you guys earlier, 
my four-year-old wet his pants at school for the fourth time and I lose it. Mm -hmm. And you look at me and go, man, you've seen terrible things. Why is that a issue to you? Is that, is that fair? As far sure. as where we where we're coming from, I mean, and I think we already said this a little bit. It's not the major it's not the major mass casualty that sometimes sets off mm -hmm. that lights no. to use. Right, they, they do do they do have an effect on us for right. sure. But the truth is, the majority of us don't run those big, huge mass casualties. So it it is yeah, it has its effect, and and the prevention I think is uh, we are a big proponent about. Uh, supervisors, lieutenants, captains, and law enforcement, sergeants. If you're supervising people, you better know CISM. And you better be aware. I, I had a guy that I've worked with for several years, and he is just one of those, you know, he comes in, he's always in a fairly good mood. He clocks in, he checks his truck off. I never have to give him, tell him what to do. He just, he's just one of those great firefighters. And two shifts in a row, he came in, clocked in, never said hello to anybody, and walked out and just sat. As a supervisor, you need to pick up on that and say, okay, something's going on. Mm -hmm. And in talking to him, he told me what was going on, and we made arrangements to, hey, I'm going to keep right on checking on you as we go through, and I'm going to do things. It's noticing these behaviors because everybody is different. Mm -hmm. There's there's people that stop eating when they get stressed, and unfortunately, I'm a stress eater. Yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> I keep praying for God to change <laughs> I think the other thing, too, is running those big calls. I'm going to expect that to yeah. affect you. Um, your four-year-old, I would not expect that. And so to notice that is very important. And that's going to be a huge red flag to me, more than running a call that I would expect that from, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've noticed a lot of our folks on social media, and we've got, we have a, I don't, it's a part of public safety. We have a lot of single uh, moms who work for us they love to post about their children and, and I mean their children will just be walking from the bedroom to the <laughs> kitchen and they'll post a picture <laughs> and I got to thinking about this the other day <laughs> I'm guilty uh, uh, Scott's pointing <laughs> um, but I got to thinking about this and I said why don't we talk about our marriages that way mm -hmm. and and the thought process was because no matter what I say about that child that child's going to love me period and we don't see that as, and I'm, what, what brought that to my mind was the fact that as co-workers in public safety, if I do something a little skew that you don't like, the stop sign comes up and you may not talk to me for two or three days. And so there's, a, there's an issue between where we shut things off in our adult lives, even as public safety personnel, and sometimes we'll miss the guy yeah. Who doesn't say anything because we say, well, that's just the way he is, right? Yeah. You've talked about your lieutenants and sergeants needing to be able to do CSM. I'm throwing you another shot. I'm going to stop you there okay. on one thing. We okay. don't teach them to do CSM. Okay. If they want to, they can come in for more training. Right. But we teach them about it so they understand it and know what to watch for. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, it can't... It, it will... Here's what you said to me. It will not work if only the lower, the firefighters and the sergeants and lieutenants understand CSM. It won't work in a department. Is that fair? It, it's fair if they don't understand, yes. So, who, so in order for it to work properly, who else needs to know and be on board with this in that situation? Well, no matter what we all think, we all, no matter what we all say, we all know the truth is if the chief is not bought in, it's going nowhere. And it starts with the chief, and he has to have a, he or she has to have an understanding of it. And once they do that and give that support, then it, it really is, to be honest, it is talking about it regularly it's to everybody in the department. It is we make we make everybody go through training on CISM, and we've got a guy that shares his story just so they understand what's going on and what to watch for. The other area that we we uh, we try to do, and and we're trying to find ways to do it even better, is talking to families, because they're with them a whole lot more than. I mean, yes, we spend a third of our lives together. The other two thirds are spent with your family, and for them to be able to notice things. And so, so what I hear you saying in that is whether or not I ever need Teresa's help. 
we need to be constantly opening up avenues for people to be able. In other words, let's not wait till the tank's getting ready to spew. Yeah, we mm -hmm. we want to unload the tank when it's at twenty five percent. Is mm -hmm. that yeah? Absolutely, yes? yes. So there may be times, Teresa, when and we talked about this a little bit, where you may go by the department and sit down and have a cup of coffee with the guys, and y'all may it, critical and stress management may never come up in that in that association. Sure, and you, you just you can't you can't. Um, so one of the things that, that yeah you cannot make it. So that the only thing you ever talk about is CISM. Because mm -hmm. then they're going to know. The majority of times when I do CISM, people don't realize. I've had many a firefighter come to me afterwards. Man, you did that SISM stuff on me, didn't you? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. you're just going in and Right, saying, just being present. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But doing li everyday life with them. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your family. What do you do on the weekends for fun on your when you're off? You know, oh, I like that too just connecting with them like you would anybody else. So you got involved in this and within a month you were just, everything was good with you and the firefighters. <laughs> I mean, y'all had a great relationship, <laughs> right? No, <laughs> I wish, I wish it were that easy. I, still to this day, it's a it's a work, uh, a work of progress. I, I think what's really helped has been just being, like I said, when Scott teaches the classes, coming in and just being there, talking with them, giving them, you know, my point of view on things because the idea of going to counseling, no, you know, being counseled in the public safety world is not very well liked. And so I'm trying to break that stigma. Hey, we're not scary people. We're not going to take your job. We're not going to send you to the hospital unless it's, you know, a dire need. We're not here to ruin your life. We're not here to make things worse. Um, we're here to be on your team. So... So I got this problem, and and you've talked you you've you suggested I need help, but I am afraid of my coworkers because if, I mean I we this is, this is the South, okay, <laughs> and well, if you ever get a stigma, we you know we folks we had lunch before we did this and we've talked about a lot of things, but if you get a nickname down here because something happens in a particular situation, it's yours for the rest of your life. <laughs> so. That's that guy over there. Be be careful of him because he 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 unloaded the other day and he's not stable. So you know you talk about the nickname and how true that is. Uh, one of our guys that actually does CISM and who actually ran a call with her husband one day. Um, he's been with us for he's got to be close to twenty years now. He's done a lot of great things. But to this day, he's still called parking brake because his second shift, he drove the engine with the parking brake on. <laughs> so he's still called parking brake. <laughs> so yes, nickname stick, stigma stick. Part of that is everybody talking. Part of that is just making this a normal thing. Getting out there, not making it just not only when bad things happen, but just getting out there and saying, you know what, life sucks sometimes and we need help. Um... I, you know, I, I have been diagnosed with PTSD. And I was diagnosed many years ago, and, you know, I'm a fireman. They're just talking gibberish. Who cared? And I kept going. And it kept getting worse, which, surprise, I know. I never <laughs> thought PTSD would get worse. I thought it'd just go away. Sucked it up. But I've actually had people in my career that have refused to work with me when they found out I was diagnosed with PTSD. Because of the way the media and the television portrays it, they thought I was going to go around and kill everybody. And that's not what PTSD is in this situation. So it is talking about it. Is make, and, and that can be a huge challenge. Making sure people are, are aware that just because I've had a bad day doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Just because I've been diagnosed with PTSD, I'm still by far and away the best captain you'll ever run across in my opinion. Uh, I do my job well. I do my job really well, PTSD or not. And it's breaking down those. And that's done by talking. Um, you know, I, I was one that uh, I never would have believed I would have had a friend that was a counselor because those people are freaky. Well, they're always <laughs> analyzing you. They are. <laughs> <laughs> the more, I will never tell. <laughs> Can you imagine being her husband? Uh, but it, it's coming to, it, it's, just like, just like in normal society, we have to normalize the fact. I, I put it to you this way. 
Uh, PTSD is a job injury. And it is no different than the guy that fell into the fire and got burned. Or the guy that broke his ankle. Or the guy that broke his arm. I have a job injury. My PTSD was caused by my job. So is there is there a pill? You know, can can if I get this, I can go to Teresa. She gives me a pill and then I'm fine. I mean, is that is it? Do I go with? I'm not picking on EAP. Okay, we've talked about it, and, and I'm glad that our companies EAP have a, have place have a place yep. for that. But a lot of times with EAP, you know, I say to our folks that go to EAP, well, you got four free visits, and the question in the back of their minds got to be. Well, what if it takes five? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Teresa, I mean, am I going to come see you for once a week for a couple of weeks? It, it can it be a year? How long is it going to yes. take to fix this? It's going to take as long as it takes. Um, there's not any set. I know that some people, just depending upon life situations, can only come so frequently or how often. Um, but to me, the way that I look at it is I want you to come until you don't need to come anymore. I, I say I want to work myself out of a job. Um, I don't want you to have to come a year, but if you need to come a year, that's what we're going to do. Um, so, no, there's no magic pill. No magic pill. No magic pill. Oh. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll give you this encouragement, though. Before you go to the next thing, I'm going to give you this encouragement to your listeners. The earlier you accept help, the less you have to go. Okay. Yes, that's, that's right. a great point. The earlier you go. Um, let's talk about the elephant in the room when we're talking about counseling, okay? Um, I, I make so <laughs> much money as a paramedic that I just have this residual bank account over yes. here in the Caymans that I can just pay Teresa until she retires. <laughs> what? What? I mean, I'm Scott, you're talking to me about SISM, and, and I'm going, <laughs> hey, brother. So you know, you know what I make. I can't afford to pay her fee on an hourly rate. So I, I, I got it. I, I shared this last week actually at the high school where I teach as well, because you know we don't just do one things. But I was teaching in the public safety track, and I was talking about the fact that I got PTSD from work, and yet I had to pay for the cure by out of my own pocket. And yes, it cost me a lot of money, and yes, I paid off for a long time on it. It was worth it. But, so you talked about the black humor. My comment in the school, which made people look, was the fact that, yes, PTSD cost me a lot of money. A bullet would have been cheaper. Um, but that we're, we're trying to get that changed. We're trying to get that changed. Um, I think it was worth my money because I, I'm sleeping at night now. I think it was worth my money because I'm, go, I'm a better fireman. I think it was worth my money because I'm going to enjoy my retirement. Do I think it's right that I had to pay? No. But, you know, Georgia just uh, Georgia just shot down a bill that would have actually recognized PTSD and fire and as a workers' comp complaint. And I there's a whole lot of politics. I'm not going to get into that. But do I think that's that it's right that I had to? No. Most counselors I think do a sliding scale. Mhm. And, I, and she can explain that a whole lot better than, to, than I yeah. can. Yeah. So in my particular case, uh, the other thing about this, too, is going back to what you were asking, can you just go to any counselor? I think a part of this has to be uh, more so about the, the wanting to help than to make money. Uh, of course, I have a family to support just like you do um, and need to make money for sure. But... Scott's right. There's a sliding scale. There's grants out there. And to me, if somebody comes knocking on my door and they need help, I'm not going to ask you what you can pay me. Um, And I know there's not a lot of people out there like that, but um, if I were in it for the money, I certainly would not be a counselor. Um, And so... Barrow Barrow is very blessed. Uh, We've done a lot of the grunt work in building relationships with people so that I can recommend where they go. And I know that they're not going to I know if I recommend somebody over to Teresa, she's going to work a sliding scale, so they're not they're not paying her. You know, it's a counselor. I think her standard rate is like five hundred an hour. <laughs> no, um, I, <laughs> not quite. Um, that car she's driving outside. So that's right. That's right, Scott. <laughs> but I, I think uh, I think we you know it's building relationships, and again that goes back to your department needs to do the grunt work. 
the people inside your department need to build relationships now. When we do our CISM here in Barrow County, and I, and I do it all over, and it's totally different when I do it in another department. But in my department, I know, I already know that if this goes over my head, which happens a lot, because I'm not a counselor, and I never want to be one. <laughs> but, I, uh-huh, but I know <laughs> when it goes over my head, I can make a couple of phone calls to get that person help right then and there. And I know where I send them will work with them properly. Those mm-hmm. are two big things right there. Is there... Is I know taking the CIS, CISM course for the counselor is important. Is there particular trauma training out there for y'all, Teresa? Yes, absolutely. There's quite a few. Um, trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, which is um, a very standard therapy with a trauma focus. There's EMDR, uh, which works significantly with PTSD. That's eye movement. Thank you. EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, so bilateral stimulation to process trauma, okay. essentially. Um, there's all kinds out there for us to have, um, and that's really that's what I mean by when, you know, if if someone is seeking out a referral base in counseling, you want to make sure they have that trauma training. Um, I, I particularly think EMDR has been very successful in the public safety uh, realm, uh, at least in my experience working with them. And so I think if, if they have the trauma training, you know, I think it's a safe place to land. Okay. Um, but if, Scott, if I admit to this, I'm going to be... Um, down at the Department of Labor looking at their computer. I mean, nobody's going to let me work for them, particularly in, in public. I mean, do you want a police officer coming at you that's head's twitching as he stopped you for speeding? I mean, <laughs> come on. So it, it is a very tricky line to, to walk um, because we do, have our, we do have a lot of, of safety concerns. But again, I've been diagnosed with PTSD, and I'm about as safe as they come because if if I, I can, I always tell my guys if I ever give an order that I know is going to get somebody hurt or killed, the order is going to go to me and me alone, kind of thing. I, I'm just as safe as I was when I started. Well, no, I'm safer than when I started my career. Talk to me about. But, talk to me about. You talked to me about a while ago about how PTSD and issues that we've talking about today is like I broke my arm. Yes, yeah. very, so talk very to me about so. that. And so it, it it comes from that running those bad calls. I, you know, I tell everybody, it, I don't care who you are, it is not normal to hold a five-year-old brain in your hand. It is not normal to pe- pick up pieces of, a, of an adult that has been stretched out because they were hit by numerous cars. That's just not normal. And I also use this as, as, an, as an example. Uh, we got a call up one night to one of the major highways that go through Barrow County. It was about six in the morning we got the call for a deceased person. He, he had a heart attack and died on the side of the road. He pulled his car over, put it in park and died. We walked up, I looked at him and rigor mortis was set in already. And it's like, yeah, he's dead, let's do paperwork. Cause that's my response. I was, he's, yeah, okay, he's dead, let's do paperwork. The law enforcement, the deputy that was on scene came up and said, Hey, Scott, can you, do you mind checking the guy that found him? He's freaked out pretty bad by this. And, and I walked over and the guy was freaked out. And it dawned on me that he's normal. I'm not. Because I've seen so much death that it has become, yeah, he's dead. Let's do paperwork. The normal person is still freaked out by death. So it has our effect. That leads into stuff. It is just no different than me falling off a ladder into a fire or even <laughs> we, we had a fire in which we had two firefighters injured one ripped it rip, one ripped his tendons in his ankle and the other one ripped his knee out that's no different than my injury mine just took longer to identify mine just took longer to, to but but we spent i mean these guys were out on fmla for months healing and we'll pay for that but the guy that gets a mental health issue, we're not going to pay for? Well, don't we want it? In this day and age, as short as we are, because I guarantee you any firefighter listening, any paramedic, any law enforcement, any 911 dispatcher listening to this podcast is thinking, yeah, we need help too. We don't have people. Let's start taking care of the ones that are still here, mm-hmm. even their mental. So are you going to fix me? And, it, it, and we talked a little bit about this already, but what about my environment? 
what about I mean you're you're fixing me and it, it's kind of like um, I'm breathing secondhand smoke and then you cure my lungs but then you send me back to the same environment yeah. I was in what about my family what about um, I mean do we fix are you are you fixing all this or are you just fixing are you just splitting my arm what, what are you doing here I think I think we've gotten to the point where it's a combination of fixing every uh, trying to fix it all. Now there has to be an agreement with the firefighters and the families, and mm-hmm. because we do realize, and I and I've had families go in for counseling. I, it it really does. I will honestly say we've we've grown leaps and bounds in the last five years, with the acceptance to the point that I get text messages from now now from guys saying, "Hey, uh, you know." My wife's going through a really hard time. This is what's going on. Where can I get her help? So we're recognizing that even our families, and I'll go so far as we have to change our family, as in the firefighter family, to the fact that we are caught, we are aware that, you know what? If, if, if it bothered him, we need to be there for him because the next time around it's going to be me that bothers, gets bothered, and I want him there for me. And quit the... Uh, not talking about it you know if we talk about it we're gonna we're gonna understand what's going on better if we talk about it we're not gonna plant something it's not like i got ptsd because someone mentioned it to me i got ptsd because we weren't allowed to talk about it we weren't allowed to i just had to keep pushing it back into the brain until the brain had no more room yeah yeah and i would i would add to that when i see when when it gets to the point where you come to therapy um, I'm not going to fix you. You're going to fix you. I'm going to be right beside you to help you, though. Um, and then that can leak into your family. You know, and, and of course, if, you know, if I'm seeing somebody and they say, hey, my wife or my husband or my kids are struggling to bring them in. Let's m- because ultimately for, you know, you can help if you're not healthy, your family's probably not going to be healthy. And so let's make it a big effort to get all of you healthy. I think that's a crucial we are. I've never seen any real statistics on this. I had a friend of mine years ago who was a police officer who'd been married seven times and was living with a girl at that point who he was, wasn't his wife. Not, not that that really mattered, but um, we destroy a lot of people with our PTSD. Do yes. Not? And it's not just, you know, not just us. So... Mm-hmm. I, I have taught over the years, I've taught at the high schools, I teach it, I, I go in and, and do a, a PTSD and CISM talk in the social work program at UGA, I'm invited into there and do it. And without fail, somebody in that classroom is a family member of public safety, without fail. There's a daughter or a son. I've taught it at different organizations, somebody in that family, and I've had so many kids come up to me and tell me, when you were talking about PTSD, you described my father or my mother word for word, and she will never admit she's in trouble or has needs help. Our families are seeing it. Mm-hmm. Our families are being destroyed by it. They're probably mm-hmm. better at it than we are. Than yes. About mm-hmm. seeing, mm-hmm. seeing it. Sure. We need to be educating families to the signs and symptoms and to where to get help. Mm-hmm. And we've got it set up. In our department, we've got it set up. Our guys... No, they can call her, and she'll get the help for them. They don't have to come through me if they don't feel comfortable doing that, or any of our other guys. They can call a chaplain if they need to. It's getting those steps in place, because you're right. It is, we're killing our families, and that shows in the divorce rate. It shows in the uh, uh, alcohol. Do Do you know the really sad part? You brought something up, the field we live in. The really sad part, whether we ever, ever want to talk about this or not, is... We also have a high domestic abuse problem. Yes. Inside of public safety because we go home and take it in on our families. And we and you're not Scott, you're just not talking about beating your wife. You're No. You're talking about withholding mm-hmm. verbal I mean it's yep. it's the gamut, is it not? Yep, it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. It is. It's yeah, when we say, you know, domestic abuse, everybody goes to that automatic of the physical and right. it's not necessarily the physical. But our fa- we don't go into this thinking, you know what, I'm going to get in here and I'm going to keep everything secret and not tell my wife anything. And if she brings something up, I'm just going to blow up at her. That's my goal. In life. That's not our goal. We want to have a good marriage. We want to have a good job. We've got to start talking in order to make that happen. Mm-hmm. 
I t- I've, I've taught my students at times about being careful about going home and telling their spouses, their children, about some of the things that they've been involved in during the day. And because of our news is so much greater today, I mean, she can say, hey, did you go to that massive accident on the interstate where those three people were killed? You, well, I did. Well, what was it like? Um, and both of you can answer this question. What do you... What do you share with your spouse and what do you not share with your spouse? And how do you, I mean, some guidelines? I certainly, well, I believe absolutely guidelines for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, talking about it is going to cause you to almost, your body to respond as if you were there again. Um, because your brain's going to think, oh, we're, we're thinking about the same things we were thinking when I was on the scene. And so my body's going to respond the same way. The second thing is, I think... And correct me if I'm wrong, but public safety, they don't, they don't want to go home and share it with their wives because, or husbands or kids because they don't want to traumatize them. Yeah. And so they don't want to let that flow into the rest of their family. So it's a protective measure almost, I think. And so, sure, I think guidelines are um, important. At the same time, I think open communication is important too. Hey, I had a really hard day. I ran some really hard calls today. Um, so I'm just feeling a little overwhelmed. You know, to me, that tells or- you... In our language, hey, it was a bad day. Just leave me alone for right. a Right. Give me an hour. Let me have an hour or two by myself. So that's training them. That's yes. that's the that's us making sure we can say it the appropriate way. But that's also training our families mm-hmm. to understand that as well. Is that so? Fair? Well, so I'll, I'll yeah. put it. I'll put it to you this way. It, so Teresa and I have become really good friends, and I'm happily divorced, so I don't have family. But Teresa is like family to me. She's like the daughter, niece, friend that I never really wanted. <laughs> but Teresa, when I first started talking to her, you know, I would say things just to see her face. But she knows when I've been on bad calls. Uh, somehow she's got this, her and her, her and her husband both have this sixth sense about me that I get texts when I don't want them. <laughs> but they know I've been on bad calls, but I know they don't want to hear the details, of, the gory details. They don't, and there's there's no need for that for them. Mm-hmm. But I can admit, you know what? I did run that call, and it was bad, and it is bothering me. And I can't. I can even share the point of saying that you know, when I close my eyes, I can still see it. Mm-hmm. I'm not describing, but I'm letting her know that I'm hurting, and she's letting she's there. She can talk me through. She can. The same with your family. Explain to them. You don't have to give details because who wants to? I don't want my family to know what I see and do. But share with them. And also, we try to pre-educate the families. You know what? When they come home from a bad day and they want to just sit, let them. Mm-hmm. It's okay to just sit. Now, Now, if they're still sitting there two days later, yes, you've got a problem that you need help getting him going or getting her going again. But it's okay to, de- you know, I, I, I tell everybody, it, we look at all the signs and symptoms and we look at the way we handle things. Drinking is not the solution, but that doesn't. But we t- we tend to say, oh, oh, he said, don't drink. No, I said drinking heavily is not the solution. I have gone home and had to have a drink just to sit and mellow for a minute. It's learning to do that and having the family understand what to watch for as well. Mm-hmm. All right, I got to be a wife here for just a minute. Okay. Okay. We are. Because of COVID, because of our short staff, because of the amount of calls we're running right now, I watch some of our guys, and we're working 12-hour shifts where I am. I see them run 14 and 16 calls in a 12-hour shift, which means from the time they turn the key, it doesn't shut off until they pull back in the station. Okay, They don't see the station for 12 hours. Yeah, They're doing this day after day after day, Scott. It's not like... I mean, when they go home after a 12-hour shift, it could be a week to two weeks when they're running massive amount of calls and they're going home exhausted. And and I'm looking at you as my spouse and saying, I need some time today. And I come home two days later, I need some time. I mean, that's not necessarily PTSD, but we've got to be able to work through those processes. Don't yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. But it's also having that open communication with the spouse okay. and mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. because the truth is, the truth is it, it's a balancing act. Life is a balancing act, and it's even more of a balancer for those in public safety 
because we I'm exhausted when I get off shift. I'm, I'm, my life is just exhaustion. I'm always tired. But life's still going to go on. And I I always kind of I always kind of say when it comes to dealing with your spouse, you have limited number of coins that you can use. Don't use them all over stupid stuff. You know, if she needs you to do something and yeah, you've been running calls all day and you just want to go to sleep, well guess what? She's been working all day and wants to go to sleep too. Help out when you can. And that way when those times are really there, they're a little more forgiving to us. Of saying, here hon, here's a chip. I'm turning it in. I just need today. And they're a little more we, we, we tend to sometimes abuse that and we don't need to. We need we need to we need to have that compromise with our families. Because our our families are everybody is tired in this in this world we live in. I think it's safe to say everybody's tired. Right? Mm-hmm. You have not. We've got we've got us as <laughs> firefighters and public safety involved in critical incident stress management. We brought the counselors in with critical incident stress management, but you're also looking to the public, and maybe, and if some some of these are pastors of churches that are assisting, but are there also what we call, quote, chaplains who are just lay people out there who are coming in and, and offering an ear just to listen? Is that a, is that involved in what we're doing too? So we have three chaplains, including Teresa's wife. This gentleman. My wife. Is our husband. <laughs> My husband. Freudian slip there. Freudian huh? slip. <laughs> Joseph, Joseph is a saint for dealing with a lot of stuff. Oh, that's all awesome. But, but here's the thing. Again, I stress the same thing. They, they, if they are going to be part of our chaplaincy program, they are going to have training. Mm-hmm. Because saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things can set somebody way back. But it's building that relationship, too. They, they just don't... There is nobody... I, you, there's nobody that's going to walk in off the street and everybody's just going to start talking to them. Mm-hmm. That's not how we work. Because like you said, how many times do we get asked, tell us about your worst call? Mm-hmm. And I've never known a firefighter to ever tell anybody about it, other than another firefighter. So we do we do have a chaplaincy program where they come in, they get training, and they're assigned stations. And they are in those stations meeting the guys, getting to know them. Um, they do ride-alongs, um, you know, and, and we usually... <laughs> yeah, uh, the unfortunate thing is, is they see things that they don't necessarily want to see that way. But I got to witness, uh, you know, it was a, it was bad, but it was a great thing to witness. Is I got to witness that in um, her husband running a bad call, and to see the fact that, uh, you know, it it hurt, it bothered him, and the firefighter was reaching out to him, and he was reaching out to the firefighter, and all that stuff, and Teresa was reaching, you know, everybody was educated enough to say, hey, let's check on each other. Well, isn't that like what we do when we go to EM, bad EMS calls and fire calls? I mean, you're doing your job. I'm doing my job. He's, she's doing her yeah. job. I mean, everybody is involved in making this situation better, and really that's what makes CISM, CISM work. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. There. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, you won me over today. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm, I'm a CISM uh, proponent now. So what's next for me? What do I do? So... Uh, first thing is get some training. And where? And um, okay, where do I get and, that? And right now, you know, as badly as this, I hate to say this, your best training is through an instructor like me, um, because I bring in I bring in everything we do, and I've got I'm an international I am certified internationally to teach this. Um, and but once you once you get that training in, the the state offers it occasionally. Um, but it's getting fewer and far between because they're spending money elsewhere. Right. It, it's not It's not an injury. No, it's not an injury. And, and so we need to worry about that broken ankle. Correct. So it is getting that, but, but the, there's so much that goes into it. Now, now I, I'm the guy that's passionate enough. If you approach me from public safety, I'm going to work really well with you on helping you set up a CISM team because I really do believe it needs to be a local solution. Um, businesses are a whole other ballgame because they got money and I know public safety doesn't. But it's getting that training, it's getting people bought in, and then it's training yourself. It's, it's going out there and educating your guys. But this is what I always tell, I always start my CSM classes pretty much the same way and telling you that I'm not a counselor. I don't care what your mama did. 
you know, I that's what Teresa's job is for. And I don't I don't tread on her area, and she doesn't tread on mine. She mm-hmm. doesn't come in and pretend to be a firefighter peer. But it, it's knowing, but it's also saying that, you know, going to see people like Teresa is a great thing. It's okay. There's no shame in it. And we need to we need to take the shame out of it because it's an injury. You're hurt, and I don't even care if you're talking about PTSD. If you're talking about, I I have a lot of anxiety right now. Well, this world is full of anxiety. <laughs> mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. So how about we get you help so that your anxiety doesn't lead into other issues? Mm-hmm. And then I keep you working for me, so I don't have to replace you, and I don't have to deal with new guys all the time. So it's getting everybody bought in. From the chief on down, it is getting everybody bought in is your biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And it is a slow process. What have I missed, Teresa? Is there, is there anything else that you want to, we finish this up, that, that, that we haven't stressed, that we need to make sure people understand? I think from a mental health standpoint, getting rid of the fear that I'm going to take your job. Um, because that's not my goal, never will be my goal. Um, I'm here to get you back to your job the next day. Um, but let's, 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 because I, I know you guys, it, I mean, we haven't known each other, but just today, but let's just say this one other thing too. You will do whatever's necessary to take care of me. Sure. If that means putting me in the hospital, getting me, and I hate to, we hate this part, but I'm going to use this C word that we probably don't want to use, getting me committed somewhere to get me the help I need. You're not just going to say, well, if you don't want it. Sure. Yeah, if if your life truly is in danger, I'm going to work around everything you throw at me to get you the help that you need to save your life. Absolutely. Yes. But I want you to listen to how she worded that. Yes. She's going to get the help you need. Right. Yeah. Um, now, also, you know, the one we there's a whole lot of stuff we've not talked and, about. And we, I told you earlier, yeah. I, we won't finish this today. If, and if yeah. you would allow me in a few months, we yes. may come back and do this yeah. again. Absolutely. Or come to Savannah and yes. I'll give you some nice <laughs> seafood down there. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yes. That might be worth the trip. Okay. But I'm going to say this everything, the other thing that we really push hard in, in, in when we educate people is everything is confidential. Mm hmm. What you say to me stays with me. It doesn't go to anybody else. If I feel you need help, I'm going to recommend it, and I'm going to walk you through the process, and I'll even help make the phone call if I need to. The only time it goes above and outside of me is if it's going to affect you needing to be off for a while to get some help. And then the chief is going to know anyways. He needs to know. But you're going to know that I'm telling the chief that. But it is so confidential. I, I can tell you that I, I've got, uh, we have six team members right now regularly inside, just inside the fire department that do one-on-ones, mostly one-on-ones, and we do some group stuff. I know that they all recommend, they've all at one time or another recommended somebody to get some more help. I have no idea who, I have no idea when, I have no idea because we don't pass that around. Who I recommend stays with me. Who they recommend stays with them. And that's a key aspect because we do have that fear of what if everybody finds it. Mm-hmm. Everything is very confidential. I am just happen to be a little bit more transparent in the fact that, yeah, I've had a lot of intensive therapy to get better. Mm-hmm. It was more expensive than a bullet, but it was so much better. Mm-hmm. Teresa, if somebody wants... More information? Can sure. they contact you? Sure. Way? How to, Absolutely. I have a website. It's um, www.thehealthyhome.us. And I also, you can contact me by email, uh, Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A, at thehealthyhome.us. And I would be more than happy to help. Scott? Yeah, I, you know, I'd definitely be honored to help anybody. Uh, you can reach the easiest way is email. And I'll eventually get back to you. Uh, my time is compartmentalized. I try to take my time for me too. But my the easiest email is sdakin, S-D-A-K-I-N at Barrow, G-A, or B-A-R-R-O-W-G-A dot org. All right. And or you can call 911 if you're in Barrow and you may or may not get me. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's going what shift it is, right? Our three-day work week. Yeah, what shift, shift what area day. you're in, you may or may not get me. Right. Um I will have that information available if if you want to email me, and I'll give you my email address, as I always do at at the end of the podcast. And you can email me, and I'll have that information and get it to you if you're interested. Man, 
you guys are fantastic. <laughs> I know, you, Scott, you said I couldn't say that about her, but y'all. <laughs> <laughs> coming. Y'all. <laughs> Thank well, you so as much. As long as you understand that, you know, that's gone to her head and uh, I'm going to uh, deal with that. Yeah, you got to deal with it. I'm leaving the county. You got to stay. Okay. Thank you guys so much for today. Absolutely. And um, we'll move on from here and hopefully we can see some progress from this and see some people helped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. Yes. Thank hopefully you very so. much. Thank you. Well, as we say in the podcast, life in our professions is not getting any easier. I hope you heard that the longer we wait to get help, the harder it is to get through what we're dealing with. Also, I want you to understand and hear that it's never too late to ask for help. Let me know what you think. Send me an email at chaplaindalesimmons at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-P-L-A-I-N-D-A-L-E. S-I-M-M-O-N-S at gmail.com. If you're interested in the information from Scott and Teresa and missed it, email me and I'll send it to you. Again, please share this with others who need help. If you like what you're hearing, let me know. Rate this podcast on the app that you're listening on. We're available on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. I told you last time we'd be hearing from some volunteers about the stress from their perspective. We had some hiccups getting together. I hope to bring that to you next time. Please take care of yourselves. I know the things you deal with every day. I don't pretend that I know everything about what you're going through, and I wouldn't attempt to understand all of it. But no, I do care, and I'm with you in this. One last thing. Read my lips. You matter. I'll see you next time.